0: It's the Forwards Backwards podcast. This week, we discuss Captain My Captain, acoustics, and play everybody's favorite game show, Where in the World is Dan Fallon? As always, I'm Keith Ponywas, and as always, I'm joined by the biz to my news, Kyle Carr, rest in peace, Biz Markey, the hardest working man in Wisconsin sports podcasting. That's Kyle Carr, not Biz Marquee. Uh Dan Fallon is, I think he's fumigating somewhere. Uh, we're not quite sure. Um, but, you know, going forward, maybe Dan will write in with clues as to where we can locate him and we can play a guessing game about where in the world he might be. I think he's going on tour with Fish at some point. I know he's not going to be at the game uh, on, on Tuesday nor at the game on thir- uh, Saturday night. Uh, Kyle, are you going to be making it to the game on Saturday night or do you have something else going on that may conflict
1: uh, I'll be there Saturday yeah I mean as long as my uh body um handles whatever happens in the next couple of days with the Milwaukee Bucks I will be there <laughs> Saturday um <laughs> what I about might be Tuesday
0: a- are you gonna be there Tuesday
1: Ooh, Tuesday I think I'm gonna stay home because I don't need a whole ass stadium seeing the mental um despair i will be in uh for those couple hours like i know some people have wondered how they wanted a i think like a video like a live stream of myself and jake down in chicago's reactions to these games and it's like no no you don't want to see that no one wants to see that and if you do you're you're sick i don't like that <laughs> um having watched
0: with uh, jake
1: uh the cone uh
0: promotion relegation playoff match uh at one point I just turned to him and I'm like I think I can run home. I think I have, you know, some Xanax lying in a in a cabinet somewhere. Do you need that? Uh he gets very worked up. It, and it's not like like yelling at the TV. It's like, you know, you can just tell that he's just too nervous to handle it.
1: Yeah, we both went to game 3 and that was the same energy. We were both just like I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment <laughs> nothing like <laughs> you think that's we, why you, do you think that maybe why you uh, are a big
0: fan of capoing at the forward madison matches that it's like a productive use of that of
1: that energy it's a good distraction i mean it helps so i i can't deny that <laughs> um but yeah we'll we'll see how i am on saturday i will make my long awaited return after almost two months of not being at a match like I said, I will either be in a state of happiness or a state of despair. And that's assuming my body handles whatever repercussions um, happens in this week.
0: Um, so you're going to watch at home. Do you have like a, a, a bottle of uh, of Miller High Life on ice waiting for this? Uh, some sort of celebratory drink? Nothing.
1: Nope. Mm-mm. I'm um, going in. I, I'm not trying to. I'm going in with the same routine I've always had. I'm going to eat dinner. I'm gonna stress for like five minutes. I'm gonna take Gio for a walk, and then I'll come back, start the game, and immediately know I'm in full pledge anxiety mode. Like I, I'm sticking with the routine. I'm staying uh, home. The only time I made the exception was Game Three when I was there in person, and I actually felt good about the upset.
0: <laughs> um, interestingly, I, I learned by the way, Bucks in six. The Bucks had never actually until this year won a playoff series in six games since that was was you know, put forth by young Brandon Jennings uh, in yeah, twenty. No yeah. <laughs> they
1: didn't so, they didn't to get to the finals. I, yeah. I for the sake of my own body, I, I hope they would tomorrow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um it, it'll just be a relief to have it over, will Uh so we we're gonna talk a little bit today uh, about the Union Omaha match. Uh we're gonna also talk about um you know the the kind of layout of that maybe talk a little bit about Saturday night first though we, we have to delve into some personal news Kyle I don't know if you heard. I was supposed to make the the trip to Omaha, Nebraska this weekend. I did not. Um, I,
1: yeah, I did let down
0: that. myself and and the flock um, you know I have a, a multitude of excuses. I had migraines on Wednesday that threw off the whole uh, tight schedule I had worked on to get Paisley boarded because uh, she had to do an interview at the boarding place. Um, and so I couldn't make that. And then I discovered she needed shots and I couldn't run around and get her the shots she needed. Um, so I was, you know, I was okay with leaving Paisley unsupervised in my house for 48 hours. I don't think Paisley would have been super okay. Um, I also thought, you know, with, with kind of the migraines wouldn't have been the best idea to dump as much beer as I humanly could have, on Friday, into my system. I, you know, this is what happens as I age. I get smarter. Um, not in all aspects, not in <laughs> I'm many gonna say, aspects, do we? quite frankly. Um, but in, in this aspect, I got a little bit uh, wiser. Um, and so uh, I missed, you know, very clearly, the if you listen to the television broadcast, the 50 member strong flock traveling contingency was fantastic. Uh, they did a great job. Hopefully, you know, as uh, you know, because the first time, really, the the good night for for Omaha to come up here, we were still under COVID protocols, which seems to be forgotten sometimes on uh, corners of the internet. And so, you know, we the team, the front office, could not do a group package for for the Union Omaha f- fans which hopefully, you know, going forward, we'll be able to arrange a group package for them now that the COVID restrictions are lifted here in Madison and they can attend in all of their pomp and glory and still be outsung by the much, much louder flock. Um, But, you know, uh, I think it's a testament to the the capacity of the flock that they made uh, that trip down there in such great numbers and hopefully, uh, I'll get to do it next year. Uh, maybe we'll even organize a bus. And hopefully they'll put us on Saturday, which is much more convenient than, you know, Friday because people have jobs.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I was thinking. I was like, I would love to make the trip. And I mean, I know the next one is on a Saturday, but it, it having the game on a Friday just really puts a damper on trying to make it work. You know, you got to find PTO. Yep. Then it's kind of like, do you leave Thursday night? Like, do you leave Thursday? You like, stay the day, and you get there Friday. Do you leave early enough for Friday? And then you're just tired. It, it's definitely a tough task. But shout out to those traveling members of the flock. Yes, very loud. Drums were on point. I was very happy with the audio side of it. It was. It was good to know that. There can still be a flock presence. Obviously, it's a little bit tougher when there was COVID, and you know things were really bad. And it's kind of showing that we can, the flock can still make its way out for away days if they're you know within reasonable distance and. I mean, how, like I said, 50 people on a Friday, that's pretty damn impressive. So hopefully, and, you know, in you the know, future,
0: the, the, the flock didn't organize any buses or travel or anything like yep. that it was all, you know, carpool, they
1: all just carpooled and figured it out themselves,
0: making your way down. So that's a, a pretty, I would say, impressive showing from all of them. Um, and, and you could hear them and, and obviously man of the match, uh, as we'll talk about here in point one, man of the match, Connor Tobin, uh, gave them a, a, a bow after his um, unorthodox, miraculous uh, goal. I, uh, you know, speaking of, of Union Omaha Twitter, I did wade into the depths of Union Omaha t- Twitter, and someone doing kind of statistical analysis pointed out that his header had an expected goals uh, associated with it of, of point 0.1. And the the shot he saved off of the line had an xG of 0.44. Um, so I think if you're doing the math, that means maybe his performance was worth, um, you know, minus 0.44 to the to the forward side, and point plus 0.9 to the forward side. He was he performed 1.34 goals above expected goals for for Connor Tur- Turbo Tobin. So. Fine performance from him and really a man of the match, and uh, really helped get that point on the road. When I think at that point in the match, you and I were not what we would say optimistic about the state of affairs.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a this hasn't been great, like considering he had to do a goal line clearance within the first you know, minute like two minutes of the match, and you're just thinking, oh. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's how it's going to be. I'm going to try and like swallow that as much as I can. And hopefully it just turns itself around, but then Omaha gets the goal. And you're it's kind of the, we'll talk about that later, but it was, it felt like the same type of performance where it's just like, they couldn't get going. It seems like everything was rushed. It just seemed a little unorganized, but, Turbo was ever present. I, I would say that would be the biggest thing is how he was able to still more or less marshal everything that he needed to. He was still able to, you know, guide that back line. Yes, it had its flaws, but you know, this is what Turbo brings. I mean, he didn't really have the best passing night, but you know, that's no, not what no. he's there to yeah. do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think he, he would like to probably have a better passing night. I think uh, Carl Craig would like him to have a better passing night. Um, but no, I, and I think, you know, it was a, a little bit of a, a, you know, you might, we we sometimes, you know, extrapolate from single performances in re- weird and ridiculous ways, but it was very much a, what you might call a captain's performance, a willing them to victory kind of, you know, performance um, in, in kind of lifting them up. And they very clearly got a result that, um, you know, I was I was joking with with some people that I hope they didn't stay overnight in Omaha because they wanted to get out of town as quickly as possible with those stolen points.
1: Um, It was definitely one of those where, I mean, Turbo won five or six duels, two or three aerial duels. Yeah, we're just he didn't concede a foul, which was very good on his part. You know, no cards, obviously, got a couple tackles, had some clearances, including the big one off the line, got had an interception. He again, he was just so he was just all over the place. And when Ford needed him to step up, he did. And yeah, with the lethargic performance, it definitely was kind of a even if you had told me going into the match, like, okay, Ford Mass is going to draw against Omaha, you're going to get a point. I would be at least okay with it. That's a good start. Obviously, I want all three, but. You can at least sit here and be like, fine, fine. And as the match was going on, it became more like, get a goal, equalize it, get the hell out. Like, you just got to get a point at this rate. You yeah. just got to get something to walk away from. And they did, and they got it. And after that goal, there was like a five minute stretch where you're thinking, maybe they can get a second. And then it quickly went away. But yeah, I was, it was very important. I think when you need your, you know, tailsmen, Tailsmatic perform Tailsmatic players to make big plays. Turbo was there to make the plays.
0: Yeah, uh, one thing I'll say as well is that that goal line clearances is, is for all the young kids listening at home. Um, well, first of all, you know I don't know where your parents are, and they should stop this behavior. Uh, <laughs> but but really good fundamental defense, which is when your goalkeeper comes out on a one on one like Brino did there your goal is to recover to goal, right? You know, I, uh, long ago, I'm not allowed to talk about my soccer career on here, but I will say there was one defender that I played with who was top notch at doing that every time, Uh, was an outside back and just knew, yeah, my goal, my job is to recover to the goal line when, you know, there's a one-on-one and it helps because it also helps the goalkeeper because they know in a lot of situations, you know, even if the, you know, they make that initial save and it squirts somewhere, that guy's there to help clear it out or do all of that. So really good kind of fundamental move from, from Connor Tobin on that play, you know, good overall performance. On the marshalling side, and this uh, is point number two that kind of came up on our, our texting back and forth. You texted to me and I, I may be butchering the quote, we keep conceding in the same goddamned way. way. Uh, may have been the quote. And uh, first, Kyle, talk me through your feelings. We're gonna put you on the couch here. What were you feeling when you sent sent that text?
1: How many fucking angry? times? How many fucking times are you gonna allow the same damn type of goal? We saw it happen in North Texas. We've seen it happen over and over and over. It's like every freaking time it's a through ball, most likely on the right hand side, and all of a sudden you look at our right hand side,
0: their left, yeah.
1: They're left, our right, they're left. It's always happening. And you see a guy that is way ahead of everyone, the whole back line, and then they allow a goal every single time. Well, I don't know if it's just that bad of USL League One roughing that they keep missing the offsides. I don't think it's going, to, I don't think it's that bad. It's not like North Texas where you can say, okay, yeah, I have questions, or even the Fort Lauderdale one. It's just like, how many times does this have to happen? And I don't understand why that is. And again, I, I know with Carl Craig's tactics, you wanted to try and push up and up and up a little bit more. But it just seems like every single time, the ball goes out wide, it's a through ball, the winger or attacker out there gets it. He's able to just take a couple dribbles. hope, And then you, you're you just hoping at this point that one of Pato, Gustavo, or Turbo gets back in time or Brino makes a save. And it doesn't happen. It goes through the side netting.
0: Everybody literally goes like, through the side netting. Literally and through it. You know, uh, given the amount of, uh, you know, complaining Omaha did about the lack of lights at Chattanooga, um, you know, uh, I think they're opening themselves up a little bit here. Uh, in terms of, you know, maybe you guys should, uh, you know, tie a knot in the side netting. Uh, I'm it, just wasn't, it wasn't
1: shot with that much power. I mean, it was no, a good it, shot. It was a well-placed it, it shot. It
0: clearly did not rip the fabric of the net. Um, you know, it was not a, a... So when when you bring up the why, um, and and I'll say, because when you brought this up, I went back and watched the tape a couple of times, because I'm a glutton for punishment. And uh, there are two factors, right? And fundamental part of of defending is, right, if there's pressure on the ball, then you step up. If there's no pressure on the ball, then you're supposed to drop. And what you're seeing in the back line is some guys are stepping and some guys are dropping. So that makes you susceptible to that, uh, you know, where that guy can run through really easily because, you know, there's that like space. I think I'm supposed to be two yards ahead of my defender or the other guy but in fact, I'm supposed to be two yards back. And so one thing you're seeing is that the the lack of coordination. And so when there's no pressure in the midfield, the defenders should be dropping because that's when that guy has time when there's no pressure to look and play that ball through, right? And most guys in D3 in the midfield, if they're unmolested, they can play that ball pretty accurately through. The other thing is, where, you know, and, and, you know, you talked about the style of play, we're not getting the pressure in the midfield in a lot of cases. And, and I'm a little worried because our midfield is in some senses, it's felt invisible a little bit over the last several days, not necessarily Aaron Malloy on the ball who, you know, has been solid, but maybe the organization off the ball has been missing because I feel like, you know, one of the things when you look at these games is those guys in the midfield all of a sudden have tons of time, and I'm not clear where they're getting that time from other than our midfield is scattered. It's not holding its shape. It's not recovering fast enough, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's definitely weird. I mean, yeah, Aaron Malloy on the ball, perfectly fine, doing great. No complaints on that. You know, he's passing the ball really well, doing a lot of short passes, gets the assist. Can't complain about him. Christian Enriquez, you know, half the passes of Aaron Malloy. I mean, still has a high percentage of completed passes and a lot of them in the opponent's half as well. I'm pretty sure all of Christian Enriquez's passes were in the opponent's half, which is good. yeah, encouraging. Eric Leonard's passing was also not great, but he's not there for passes. He's supposed to be there to break up. Pa- he's supposed to break up the passes he's supposed to be. and this is kind of where the difficulty of Aaron Malloy being more of the six and Eric Leonard kind of being more of an eight. it I think it takes away that skill set that Eric has done so well the past two seasons. So when you're not really getting pressure on the ball, and it's not like, I mean, yeah, off the ball, it just feels as though they're waiting for Omaha to make, to misplace the pass. And then you can kind of spring your counter attack. I feel like that's what they're, and it's not just those three. I mean, you know, Carl Gomez when he's in, it's kind of the same way. I, I feel like when it was Malloy, Jepson, and Succo, there was more, you know, pressure on the ball, go at them. But, you know, Suko, he starts more as a winger. That doesn't really work out. He didn't have a great match. You know, Gomez comes in, kind of same thing. And then, you know, Jumpson was out for this match as well. So it just feels as though with... It just felt like they're waiting for Omaha to misplace the pass so then they can take advantage of it, which yeah. I understand because that's how they got the goal in the match that they won in the first matchup with Omaha. But when you're doing that, it leaves your back line exposed to the same type of through ball passes that we've been seeing.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, from the position of Eric Leonard, you know, the, doing that defensive role in the six is much more, is very different from doing it in the eight, because in the six, part of his job is basically just to try to keep everything in front of him in a lot of ways. Right. right. Whereas with the eight, you know, when you're attacking, you're trying to break the lines and, and, you know, by, you know, move into those spaces with the ball or receiving a pass where, you know, you're forcing a defender to step out to you. And then you have to recover to get back on your defensive responsibilities more. And you have to figure out very quickly, kind of heading back to your own goal. What's my defensive responsibility versus, you know, when you're playing in the six or you're playing in the, in the you know, uh, center back role or whatever, you're keeping that all in front of you. So it may be a question as well where, you know, maybe Aaron Malloy needs to communicate that a little bit better. Maybe, you know, Connor and, and Gustavo and, and, and Phil Brino need to communicate that more as well to those guys to say, hey, you know, that's where you need to go as, you know, a guy like Eric, Eric Leonard is learning his responsibility, you know, kind of shifting his place a little bit in the in the team as well.
1: And the weird thing is, when you look at the average positions of that midfield, it is weird. Like, Enriquez is playing right off of um, Keegan up top, kind of like more of a second striker, almost. And then Leonard is sitting behind Malloy, but they're right by... That's like their average position. So, that might... Also, explain some of yeah, the reason you, why I felt like there's no pressure is because yeah. that whole pressure, your three midfielders are literally almost in a straight line with each other in different tiers. It's like you have, um, you have Enriquez that's playing right off the striker in the central. Then you have Malloy that's kind of in between both of Omaha's midfielders, and then you have Eric Leonard right behind him. Yeah, I don't well, think that's, that's a good that's, idea of if yeah. you're trying to get pressure on the ball in the midfield yeah. and you're getting overran.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know it may be as well that they're playing with with two sixes there, right? Um, to absorb pressure, but you know, uh, then you know. I mean, depending on where their average position is, that becomes you know, for the the coaches who they specifically blame for not picking up that guy, in some sense, right? I um, mean, but when you look got, at the average
1: position, Omaha has, I think, one, two, three, four, five. They have six people that are more in the midfield. Yeah, than Madison. Like Madison was definitely pinged back. Yeah, in this match.
0: Yeah. And, but if you have that huge gap between, you know, a guy basically playing off the striker and two guys playing deep, now that might be because that's where Eric is more comfortable and where he naturally drifts to. It may be a a tactical choice, um, but yeah, you leave that big hole and that contributes to that. Oh yeah. You know, this guy gets 30 yards of space to play a ball on the midfield. I'm exaggerating in terms of the space, but you know, clearly had a lot of time to play that through ball. Right. And, you know, it's something that if you look back, I think you'll see that pattern developing a little bit is more space to exploit. What was interesting on the broadcast as well, I don't know if you heard this, but they mentioned that, you know, JMM said, oh, we saw some definite things we could exploit from that North Texas match in watching that that game film, which suggests, you know, there are certain patterns developing that teams are are seeing. He didn't say, obviously, what those specific things are. Uh, one hopes that Neil and, and Carl Craig are, are aware of them and are working to fix them, um, but it is you know if teams are picking up on it and, and you know after a couple of games it no longer is uh, you know a one off it becomes a trend and that becomes concerning. Um, speaking of concerning, how is that for a segue, Kyle? Ooh, um, you know I'm I'm uh, it, it, we're really a, a professional podcast, guy. We really um, w- winning slash drawing ugly. Um, because you know, uh, I I saw a lot of similarities with this and the n- New England performance. Where didn't feel great, but we got the got the three points here. You go on the road, you go into that bandbox. It's not a place, despite what I heard from uh, you know the ever positive Carl Craig being quoted on the broadcast. You know, he said, "Oh, this is great." You know, it's a place we'll be able to get the ball into attacking positions quickly. Um, You know, I expected after Union Omaha scored, we were going to watch 75 minutes of throw-ins because it's such a small field and it just, it feels like watching pinball and the ball bounces off somebody and out of bounds. Um, And instead, you know, we got the point back. We didn't look great. Um, So maybe, you know, uh, just kind of take our point and, and hit the road. You're hit it again
1: <laughs> yeah it felt like last year ford madison where you're not going to get many chances you're not going to necessarily create a lot or have a lot of the ball you're going to hope that you can get a counterattack, and that's what it felt like and i mean Jake keegan had a glorious chance late in the first half that he should have done better and i think he'll be the first to that. like he had it and he should have done better
0: great save yeah. i mean you got to give credit to the it's yeah. a
1: great save. You expect to play yeah, like absolutely. you expect to play like Keegan to score it though. Like with yeah. how he's been playing this year, you expect him to score. It is a good save. I'll give him that. But you know, if that was, I, I'm yeah. reminded by the way of, a, there was an old
0: episode of, uh, uh, growing pains, um, with, with Mike Seaver and his friend Boner and, uh, uh, Mike, Mike Seaver, uh, but was talking to, I think, the son, Ben, the youngest son in in Growing pains, And, uh, you know, Ben got a very bad report card, but he got 1A. And uh, uh, Ben was like, but that's good, right? And Mike Seaver was like, no, that's bad. That shows to mom and dad that you could do better if you applied yourself. And I feel like in some case, you know, poor... Poor Jay Keegan here was the victim of his own expectations. He's been so efficient finishing all year that, you know, he doesn't take, should have done better. I mean, good save. Yeah, good chance. Probably should have ended up in the back of the net. But, you know, we've seen him so many times this year where he gets a half chance or one chance, buries it, you know. So I, I think we're allowed to give Jay Keegan the pass here.
1: Yeah, he gets the pass. It's just one of, but it's also one of those where it's like, come on, yeah. I expect that to go in. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with the last few matches, it's just been, yeah, not... And maybe it's the summer heat kicking in. It feels as though, other than the first half and maybe even like the first 40 minutes against Greenville, the the last month of matches have kind of been the same pattern of it's a little bit slower, there's a little less, you know, a little less pressing. Other than the Rebs 2 game on Juneteenth, not a lot of chances are being created, and... You know, we're getting to a lot. You get into the slog of the season. You're starting like legs get tired, heat gets higher. You know, you're doing a lot of Wednesday. You do some Wednesday, Saturday matches. You're playing three matches in a week. Obviously, condensed schedule and everything. It has gotten to that pattern, but to Ford Madison's credit, they're still racking up points. They maybe you know after that struggle at the beginning of June, where you know they drew against Fort Lauderdale, they lost against Oman. But they they get a draw against Richmond. They lose the Revs, which was unfortunate. They still get a point against Greenville, even though blowing a two 0 lead is not great. You get a win against Revs two. You lose the North Texas. Okay, they just can't win at North Texas. I don't know why. I'll never understand it. And you still get a point on the road against a very good Omaha team. So you're still getting the points. And if you base it, and I, if you look at the table,
0: so looks, by the way, we had rehearsed this bit because I was going to say, but but damn it, Kyle. They're still in seventh place in the table.
1: They are in seventh place. That is correct. But if you, div- because teams like Fort Lauderdale have played over half their matches in Tormenta, and because somehow Toronto FC2 has more matches played than Ford Madison, even though they started a month later, I don't know what USL's dumbass schedule is doing. If you break it down by points per game, Ford Madison's still sitting fourth with 1.42 points per game. Omaha and Chattanooga are tied at 1.92. Greenville's sec is third with 1.69, and then it's Madison, and then it's TFC two. So they still have a good gap on Toronto FC2, Richmond, and Tucson. So there is some positive. If you go by points per game, they're still doing pretty well. They're still sitting fourth, and it's relatively comfortable fourth at the moment.
0: Well, and and you know, the table got a shake up. Greenville revealed themselves maybe not to be invincible. Uh I am now, I think I would say I'm guilty of this. Uh, Kyle, bring in some of your uh, you know, Walking walking Eleven uh, podcast knowledge. Chattanooga has been shockingly good um, this year. And, uh, you know, Hurst left, I believe, uh, you know, in yep. the, the offseason to Omaha. They picked up uh, another guy, went to Omaha, and yet they have looked very, very good. Um, the
1: weird thing with them is one of the reasons why Chattanooga is doing so well is this kind of feels like 2019 where a lot of these games are turning into draws, but before they were in winning positions and blowing the leads to end up with draws. And now they're gaining points. They keep finding ways. I, I would have to check, but they have to be the highest scoring team after, you know, the 70th minute. Like we always joke that Fort Madison is a second half team. I think Chattanooga is truly the second half team, because it seems like the majority of their goals are coming late and to their credit, they are getting it. They've only lost one match as well. And now that and when you look at that one match they lost, it was Tormenta. And nobody knows what the hell Tormenta is. And that was only a one 0 loss as well. So Chattanooga is still getting, they've also had a relatively easier schedule, I would say one would argue, you know, until they played Omaha previously, you know, they they played Greenville. At home, otherwise they'll. You know, they're playing Fort Lauderdale, they're playing reps too. They're playing Toronto. They're playing. You know, they're okay. Not Toronto, North Texas. Like they're not necessarily playing a lot of the higher up teams, but they have lately, and they've walked away. You know, not losing. They've found ways not to lose. They keep finding ways to equalize. The last game against North Texas is a prime example. North Texas had it until literally the last minute, and Chattanooga equalizes. It's very frustrating. It's very annoying, but. That's what good teams do. They find ways to win or draw.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they had that 90th minute equalizer against Union Omaha. Uh, they beat you know the the they beat South Georgia two one in an 87th minute goal. Uh, you know equalizer. They got another 90th minute equalizer against North Texas. Um, you know you can make the case that it's, you know, reversion to the mean and they're stopped going to get going to get these late goals. You can make the case that, you know, as, uh, with a certain team in red on the banks of the river mercy that we support that they're, they were mentality monsters. Um, you know, you can, you can argue as much their upcoming schedule for the Red Wolves. They're going to get Greenville, um, again, but they're at home. They have forward at home on the 31st. Um, so they don't, their schedule doesn't they don't go on the road against until uh, September 11th against Greenville. Um, They're doing Toronto and Fort Lauderdale on the road, but, you know, they're right now until kind of the down the stretch, when they come, they go on the road to Greenville and forward in October, you know, they have a pretty good, you know, relatively, they're on the road against, uh, you know, North Carolina in there, um, but they welcome Omaha to their stadium. So they have a, a fairly easy road schedule coming in. Um, I don't know when they got their hard games in. Um, you know, I also have no clue on what's going on with the USL schedule and it, know, is I such wanna, the,
1: it is the dumbest thing in the world. I don't want to <laughs> get
0: us in. I just uh, like at some <laughs> point, like we're halfway, I understand maybe early on in the season, but like Greenville didn't play for a month and you know, I wonder if, like they were like, "Oh, Dallas J is going away on international duty. Let's not make Greenville play without their starting goalkeeper." I, I just I, I don't get it in some sense. So,
1: like um, I said, I don't understand how Toronto FC2 has somehow played more matches than Omaha, Chattanooga, Madison, Greenville. and you know, they started, I think, two months after Richmond and Greenville started and they somehow have played more bad like that's where I'm just really confused and maybe it's because of their COVID situation where it's like we don't know yeah. if they're going to be able to like play in Canada and stuff so let's just try and get these matches done I, I don't know
0: yeah it's, it it's is it is a weird
1: week yeah. in USL and I mean yeah Greenville losing was shocking Pulling a 2-0 lead at halftime it, yeah. the good thing for four Madison this weekend is a lot of the teams around them also did not pick up that many points like I said yeah. they draw against Omaha Greenville loses Chattanooga draws, Richmond draws, refs two lose. It was a pretty, other than Toronto C2 winning, no team around them that played around the same amount of matches as them gained three points. So yeah, you got to, at least there's the comfort in that. Like you may not have gotten all three points, but none of your playoff rivals did as well.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. We're hitting the point here where, you know, uh, obviously I hate talking about schedules. <laughs> um but I love bitching about u s l so i'm really you know i'm i'm torn here i, I don't know which way to go um you know I, but it's just so weird uh one of the things you know that i'm still irritated about with u s l league one and I think also may have motivated um you know some comments from the flock on the Twitter machine we don't have a fan code of conduct for u s l league one and I think the supporters groups got together, put one into u s l league one and you know, it hasn't been put into place. and so I think you know that that's where some of that frustration came with too, about well, the trumpet and and this and that is that you know we want a fan code of conduct because you know we saw it with uh, Loudon United and their racial abuse of a Red Bull two player, and then it happened again, and there yep. was online, and it's like if you're not if you're not putting in the rules and enforcing the rules and letting, you know, doing this, what 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 is the league doing? You know,
1: performative allyship to be honest. Yep. That's really what this all is coming down. It's a lot of performative allyship. You know, you're saying you're going to do these things. You might have something, but you're not actually and this goes for USL as a whole. This is not just league. This is USL top to bottom. Yeah you're not actually enforcing it. You're not actually doing the work that needs to be done. One of my hesitations with this women's league is are there's going to be a higher chance of sexism and transphobia and homophobia as well are like, what are you, what are the proper steps you're going to take to make sure that that doesn't happen? Because if you're doing it out of the same model, as you are with this uh, fan conduct and, you know, with racism. And, you know, you have these campaigns where you're, you know, for LGBTQ and you have these campaigns where you're against racism, but you're not doing things to actually back up the actions.
0: Yeah. And to my mind, you know, USL is such a stickler on so much other crap. Um, You know, the, there were after that goal celebration, I think there was some talk that oh, will, will forward Madison get fined? You know, after the first match, the 90th minute winner. You know, there was some talk: will forward Madison get fined for you know this knocking over the signboards or whatever? And you know, I, and everybody kind of chuckled because that same week that was the picture that USL had on their you know Twitter feed, <laughs> and, and and one gets a sense that yeah. It, they're they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth that, you know, let's be honest, maybe this is more of a real estate deal um league than an actual, you know, giving a shit about the things that supporters give a, a shit about, you know. And look, you know, sometimes I worry about Forward Madison that we're turning into a fashion company, <laughs> you know, with a soccer team attached. Cause there's so much talk about our kits and you know, and I get worried about our performances and and we've joked about it on this podcast. But I will say, in terms of allyship, in terms of not just being performative, but actually putting in the work, Forward Madison has done, I think, in a number of ways. Now you may have a different perspective on this because you know, I'm not as involved in some of these conversations as you are, they've done a pretty good job of backing up things with, with actions. Um, You know, for instance, one of the, you know, things that I I thought was great was putting in, you know, capo stands and increasing access for people in wheelchairs um, and didn't, you know, didn't just talk about that. Um, I think they've, you know, the flock as a whole has done a very good job of making clear that, racism, homophobia, all of that is not allowed. I've seen it firsthand where you've seen the famous, you know, chant that they do at the Mexican national team games. And I've seen people in the flock walk over to those people and say, hey, that's that's not cool here and don't do it again or we'll get security. Um so I think from you know some of those scenes I've seen You know, actions back it up, but maybe you're you're going to disagree with me here, and that would I would be welcome because I'd like to hear. You know, maybe we are just a fashion company in this regard.
1: I I think they've done a good job at making sure they're attempting to back up what they're doing. Like I'm not saying like they're not doing what they say they are. They are. You know, sometimes it's kind of more of a you have to egg them on. Sometimes it's kind of like a you have to put in their ear. I will say for. Juneteenth. that was Connor Collier. They He reached out to April Chris and I first, so that was one thing where I was pleasantly surprised because I was thinking in, in my head, am I going to have to talk to them and say, hey, what are <laughs> we doing for... like that was And I've said this with Yogi and I've said this with Ebony. It's like, do we have to say something for them to realize it or are they going to just naturally do it? And to their credit, Connor Coloya reached out first and said, I want to do something for it, but I want your input. So they have... Done a pretty good job at making sure that they back up the talk. I think Torments is another club as well that's been pretty. I, I would. I've always said they've probably been one of the leaders in making sure that they actually put the action to the words that they're saying. And that's not. The, I mean, other than Chattanooga, every other club has given the perception at least to try. Whether they succeed or not is a different story, but they at least try. So that is encouraging to see. I think that's. It's the same thing with supporter groups. You know. I, I think out of the more prominent ones in the USL League One, I can feel better that they're try they are trying. So it is good to see that the clubs and SDs are putting in effort to do it. But like I said, whether it's coming off that way, whether it's successful, I think that's more for individual interpretation themselves. But I, I have not felt like there, other than Chattanooga, there has been a club front office and supporter group that necessarily neglects it uh
0: i mean and i think you know i think it's great that uh connor reached out Uh, i would guess you know two years ago it wouldn't have been something on his radar um and so i think you know from from some sense you know you you don't want to you know um you don't want to how do i put it you know reward doing the the minimum Um,
1: i I think the henny derby packed mishap from last year kind of gave them a realization of that i i think that really did i don't want to say flip a switch but i think it made them more cognizant mm-hmm. of stuff like that
0: yeah and and you know um dan and i you know have discussed this in the past as well with the the henny and i i don't think it was a case where you know i thought i think they tried to cover their bases in some sense maybe they didn't do it as effectively as they should have um and you know didn't didn't make clear all of the, the sort of things going on with it as well.
1: I know? would say it just moved too quickly from when the idea was brought up to when it was like, it just moved faster than it probably needed to. Yeah. I've talked about it at length, but yeah, yeah I think that's kind of like the long story short. Yeah.
0: And look, <laughs> and I think, you know, something that bears, bears in mind what I'll say for Ford Madison, I think is um, they're you know, they've never done soccer before. We're, the club is two years old. I'm very impressed, and and one of the things I think, you know, is is their willingness to to learn and do better. Um, and I think you know, that's if you're like Keith, where's your frustration with, you know, USL? It's one doesn't get a sense that they want to learn and do better. They're you know just kind of like we're USL. We're gonna do what you know. What option? And so a lot of people are like, you know, why isn't forward join the the USL Women's? You know, every conversation I've had with the flock and with forward is, you know, yeah, women's team. We all want a women's team, right? Um, but you know, they they want to make sure it's in the right environment, in the right league, in the right situation, and I. I don't blame them for being cautious with the USL league one from what we've seen, you know? Yeah. And so maybe USL proves us all wrong and the women's league is great. And in two years we see forward, you know, women, and it's going to be awesome because you're going to get just as many, you're going to see the same level of enthusiasm that you do for the men's team. And, you know, it's going to be awesome because I think there is a huge demand for a women's team in Madison. Um, you know, if we didn't have only 5,000 seats, I think there's enough demand that we could go to the to D one with it. I think we could sell out a you know ten or twelve thousand seat stadium here in Madison. I mean, you look at like what the women's volleyball team has done because yeah, Madisonians right. will, if you do well, they'll support you. You know, men, women, they don't even care about the sport. You know,
1: yeah, um, I was gonna say they want winners, and we've yeah. seen it with volleyball. We saw it with soccer. Yep. Yeah. If it's good enough, they'll they'll come out. People yeah. will watch. So
0: you know I, what I would say is uh, you know and I somehow I've been in the you know position of defending the club which is usually not what I do <laughs> um, defend you know be on the side of anyone I'm you know I don't know Kyle, Kyle something went wrong um, you know I've I'm I'm I was gonna into say, a, I I'm going to so say normally I'm kind low. of the
1: you yeah. know whatever because uh, I I I've seen and obviously you have as well like we see what they do so yeah. it's normally that but I will say with the fashion thing. It's one thing if this... This is not, in my opinion, like Las Vegas Lights, where they are intentionally just doing a bunch of ridiculous shit for it. Like I, Las, Las Vegas was hosting Hell's Kitchen, for example. Yeah. I don't necessarily think Ford Bats is doing that. Like when this... Yes, they are more known for their kits. You know, yes, but at the same time, that just means Cassidy's doing a fucking great job. And like, obviously, when the flock designed to get, Like, that just shows that... We have people that are good at their job. We yeah. have people that are good at doing this, and if that means that they're being branded a, you know, fashion team and not really a club, that's their pref. That's someone else's opinion. Because in my opinion, that means they're just jealous. Their clubs are not doing it, or they're not happy with the the kits that their clubs are putting out. I, if someone wants to say they're just doing this, that's their problem. Because in my opinion, that means. Cassidy and the team there and then when the flock does the designs they're doing a damn good job well and and one I'm of not things, gonna I'm not gonna bemoan yeah. I'm not gonna bemoan when it's like they're doing good work and now if they're putting out trash kits left and right yeah that's a different conversation if they, if the kits suck I will say it
0: yeah well and I also think look when you when you talk to Peter when you talk to Kubo when you talk to Cassidy when you talk to Connor when they were going into the process of, of, of putting together the jerseys, they wanted to work with someone that wasn't just going to give them a, a, a um, template kit. Right? right? They wanted the freedom to be able to create kits. And that's something that Hummel allowed them to do. And Hummel is now, look, it, it, it's been a mutually beneficial relationship because now Hummel is stealing forward Madison's ideas on their other kits. Um,
1: I was going to say, you look at what Hummel's doing with a team like the Maryland Bobcats, like Hummel's doing more in U.S. soccer than any brand is, which yeah. is good to see.
0: And then you see like they're, the stuff they're doing for like the Everton goalkeeper jerseys and things like that. You can see the U.S. influence on mm-hmm. that stuff and people are going, oh, that's pretty cool looking, you know? Um, and so I think, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, helping them and been good for them, and hopefully it's leading to more jersey sales for them in terms of youth teams or wherever they make their money. Um, it's, also,
1: know. it's lower league soccer. Like, yeah, you, the way you make money is by selling good merch, and if you are going to continuously make good merch, then keep doing it.
0: Yeah, that's um, how they make. No, the, that's
1: how you have to make money.
0: Yeah, you have to get you know some people in the seats, good merch, um, you know, and and. Yeah, they've and uh, look again god I, i'm praising all <laughs> of these people but like the flock does not exist without your hard work doesn't work you know exist without you know the the hard work of all of the supporter groups of of you know labara 608 of you know um all of the you know pink tape the the featherstone flamingos as we mentioned doesn't exist with all of that hard work and so sometimes I think people like look at forward Madison and think it's this thing that just kind of you, you get 50 people at an away match because the, from the beginning, the leadership of forward Matt of the flock has pri- prioritized inclusiveness and prioritized bringing people in and making the tent as big as possible. And that's led to this atmosphere where people are want to go and hang out with these people because they're like, Oh yeah, I may not have, you know, a ton in common, but I know they're going to be a good dude and it's going to be fun to hang out with them. And I think that that's an effort, you know, um, like with Juneteenth, the the club has gotten better at realizing that mindset, right? Like all of these groups are crucial to us, you know, not, oh yeah, it's this time to, oh yeah, we need to make a statement about, you know, black lives matter this month or something like that, that, you know, the culture of the flock is that, you know, it's not like, oh, what do we do to bring in African-Americans or bring in Latino? No, we are, that it's woven into the fabric in some sense. I don't know if that's been your experience, but that's what I think, at least in talking to the people that got things started, that they prioritized, you know, or they, yeah. they that was their goal.
1: And I think a big chunk of that is, Yes, there's going to be Ford Madison fans that paint Ford Madison and the flock in a poorer light if they have. I've said this to a couple other people at different SGs. It's like, yeah, your overall group may be, you know, the inclusive, positive, like good in it, but you're going to have a vocal minority that's going to paint a reputation for the rest of your SG. And it's not, and that that's just going to happen. And that's something that you have to be cognizant of. And I think the flock, you know, like I said, there's going to be four Madison fans that paint that light. And hopefully it's in a light that at the very least, maybe they're just like, yeah, four Madison fans and constantly say it and not, you know, being abrasive and asshole, you know, problematic. And I, and I think that's just where it starts is we want to make sure that people, when people come visit, they feel welcome. When we go visit them, we're trying, we respect their space. And I think that's just what the message is trying to be. And like I said, you're always going to have a vocal minority that's going to fuck it up. But overall, you still hope that that's not your reputation. And that's not, and, and they just do what they need to do. And I think that speaks to the leadership. I think that speaks to the people as well, because the leadership can do all the work that they can But if they're still. A large group that still sucks it's going to suck
0: <laughs> yeah well and you know i think as well if you you send the message of being welcoming people who might otherwise be like you know want to be that asshole you know in some sense they're gonna tone it down because they don't want to ruin their funds their friends fun right or right. their buddy, or you know Oh yeah, um, doesn't make sense to, and so you know it's it's a it's a cultivated effort. And it, look, somebody's you know I'm we've had Twitter spats. We you know both of us probably should shut our mouths on the Twitter machine on occasion. <laughs> um, yep, <laughs> you know we're podcasters, so we have you know just a an ingrained belief in sharing our own opinions. I think is really what it comes down to um, I'm a white male, so it's compounded. You know, I just think everybody should be forced to listen to my opinion. Um, (laughs) but I think, you know, um, it's one of the, you know, one of the things is that, you know, if you send that message, people who might otherwise, you know, we tone it back. You and I have at various points been like, yeah, I really want to, you know, we've had these texts or DMs where it's like, yeah, I really want to just unload on that guy, but
1: it's not, it's not worth it. Let's not do it. It's more that. It's not yeah. worth it. ninety nine percent of the time, it's not worth it. and And so I
0: think you know and part of it is like I think independent of ourselves, both of us might give our our own worst instincts. <laughs> you know you've I've warred with various people on politics, twitter and and you know, you on bucks Twitter for. You know, years I can't think of years. a Twitter space
1: I haven't warred with in the last <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, I think we're improving Kyle we're getting better right we're growing yeah. as people
1: I think what I, I, I tweeted it out because there's a Raptors fan that's just been constantly talking shit about Milwaukee but it kind of goes the same way it's like we got to stop giving attention to people that intentionally tweet dumb trolling shit to get a reaction because when they get the reaction that's what they want yeah and I think that's something that I still need to do myself. But constantly wanting a quote tweet, a dumb tweet to dunk on it, just so that other people can like join in your like, give you the couple likes, give you retweets, and comment the same thing. Sometimes people just want to do that to see what they can get the reaction of, and that and that is something that I I still need to do better. Like I'm not impervious to it. But it is something I have to mentally tell myself that. And (laughs) well, most of the time I'm pretty good. There's still the occasion where I'm like, okay, this is I have to say it. Like, and obviously, (laughs) there's a difference between trolling tweets and like blatant racism, blatant misogyny, blatant like homophobia, transphobia. Like those, go ahead and dunk on that all you want. In some capacity, like try not to give them a platform. It's like it's tough because you don't want to give them the platform to get their horrible rhetoric. Out there, but you also don't want to just stand on the side and be silent about it and just like think, okay, whatever. Like, that's the world. Like, you don't want to like let it yeah. be the norm. It, it is a very fine line of balance.
0: One of the things I will say about Twitter is it has revealed that there are lots and lots of people who are going to dunk on other people for you. So, you don't necessarily need to go out and, and do the dunking yourself. Um, some of them are funnier than I am, too, um, which is really. I think that's also the you know, tough part. I'm not that. I'm like i'm not that funny <laughs> I, i'm really kyle, not I that you're funny funny you're good enough eh. you're smart enough and gosh darn it people like you kyle
1: i'll take it yeah i think i'm more of <laughs> the my facial reactions and how i look when i say something is funnier than what i actually say
0: uh, uh yeah I, I don't think you're a twitter funny um no. but then but uh, i think you know uh to to you know bring this back beyond the Kyle and Keith therapy, Twitter therapy hour. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, maintaining, and, and I'll be honest, you know, after COVID, I think we were worried about the culture. I think, you know, and it goes back to what you were saying, you know, that we were able to get 50 people down there makes you a little bit relieved. But I also think, you know, look, um, Andrew has been president the first three years. We've, I've mocked him ceaselessly on this program. He's going to be stepping down as president. It's a, uh, it, Incumbent on everybody in the flock to, you know, in in whatever way they can, step up to 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 help manage that transition because Andrew does a lot of lot of shit. Um, you know, I wish I could get excited as I, I put put it today in a in a message, you know, about storage units at Bree Stevensfield as Andrew does. Um, so you know, I, I just you know and and people have lives and you have two children now and you know people need to step up and help help out Kyle too right with game day stuff and and things like that so yeah you know, i
1: realized you, this past couple months nope i am not i cannot continue doing this forever
0: <laughs> and 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 you know um one thing you know i'll say is um uh we we need people to help um Take, take over some of these responsibilities, um, and if you listen to this podcast, obviously you're dedicated to the club, and the club wants or the, the, the club and, and the flock, the, both organizations want you to help out, I would say. So if you're listening to this, get involved. Do something. Um, just don't host another podcast because uh, there are probably <laughs> too many of those.
1: We have too many podcasts. I think, I think everyone realizes that..
0: Yeah. And too many Twitter accounts as well. Um, that bothered you for a while. I think we've toned that down a little bit.
1: There, hasn't been a, there has, has not been not, new ones that I've seen, yeah. and I'm okay with
0: Producer that. Producer Paisley has not tweeted in a while. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, she is, uh, well, she's lying like she's dead on my floor, but I know that's just uh, a precursor to the eventual attack. So we'll say after the Kyle and Keith uh, therapy hour, uh, forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling twirling.